Welcome to the Power of Prayer podcast. This program is a ministry of All Saints Church in Lakeland, Florida. Each conversation is unique because of the topics and participants who join the Reverend Kathy Hewlin in the discussion. It's our hope that by listening to these testimonies and discussions, your openness to hearing from God in prayer will grow and change the way you love Him, yourself, and others. On today's Power of Prayer podcast, I am joined by Raleigh Sadler, and I have not uh, done a conversation with Raleigh yet for this podcast series, so this will be fun. And uh, first, let me just say hello, Raleigh. <laughs> hey, hey, thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. And uh, let me say that Raleigh does live in Lakeland. He's been worshiping with us here at All Saints Church. And he had an experience recently where he went on a pilgrimage. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The theme of today is um, what is a pilgrimage? Why do we do one? How does it connect with prayer? What is it all about? Uh, that's kind of the context of today. And I know we could go a variety of directions, but kind of just pilgrimage 101 is where I want to start with, if that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> so Raleigh, tell me, uh, what was the pilgrimage that you did? Recently? So I went on the Camino de Santiago and there's many different routes. And I went on El Primitivo. This is the first Camino that was ever walked. It was walked by King Alphonse II. He was known as the Chaste. He never married and he was the king of Asturias, that region of Spain. And this was an important time because this was when the Moors had invaded the majority of the mainland of Spain. And so there was not much left of a Christian Spain anymore. Mm -hmm. And so just as these Muslim leaders had rallied around a theophany of sorts, well, all of a sudden, King Alphonse and the Christian Spaniards, they rally around a vision of Saint Diego, Saint Diego, like basically Saint James. And he came and they won a battle. That's how the story goes. Well, before they got there though, a man named, I believe his name was Peo, had a vision. And he had a vision that in the field of stars, Saint James was buried. So he went, they dug it up, and they found these bones, and I believe it's been carbon dated to where the bones are from the first century. And so you have King Alphonse II traveling in, I believe, the ninth century, you know, 250 miles, 320 kilometers through the mountains, through some pretty treacherous terrain in northern Spain to get there, see it, and basically certify it in a sense. Now, it had already been certified by the bishop of that area, but now the king is coming. And they really rallied around St. James. And through northern Spain, everything is St. James. Towns are named after things that James did, supposedly. Like, I walked through a town called Afon Sagrada, which means the sacred fountain. They tell a story of how a woman and her child were starving to death, and St. Iago, St. James, comes through, and he makes it he performs a miracle to where milk comes from the town fountain and you can walk by that same fountain today mm -hmm. and it, it's just it's really fascinating to see just how they were able to galvanize the remaining christian nation around this idea and the whole geography of spain changed as a result and the political climate changed as a result mm. 
All right, so that was that went very deep <laughs> into pilgrimage, but I love that you went there. Um, so let's back up just a moment to say that there are a variety of pilgrim routes that Christians might do, right? Absolutely. All right, so there's the Camino, and and we'll get back to more possibilities of what one could do with Camino. Um, there's just the pilgrimage of going to Jerusalem that lots of people do today, and you're not walking to Jerusalem from the United States; you're flying, but just the journey of going there and what you will find when you get there of, of being some places, locations where Jesus had been or where um, you know, variety of King David and, and different people have been in that land. So that's significant. There's also in England a variety of uh, ways that people might do a pilgrim walk. I know right now there's a pilgrim's way to Canterbury that I saw online that you could walk from Winchester to Canterbury, and there are some holy sites along that path. I think it's also just kind of a a good British journey as well. Um, But you could go from, let's see, from Canterbury, England to Rome on foot, and that is another major Christian pilgrimage that someone might do. Uh, So if we're talking about going on foot to get to another destination, you know, in the United States, people don't typically, they just don't do that. You'll see somebody that might be hitchhiking. (laughs) That's kind of the association I have with that. So how is it different in Spain with how you would go by foot? Were these designated paths that um, were marked out by the nation? Were you going through different lands by different people? You know, it just looks different, I know, in England, and I believe it's the same in Spain, not that I've been there yet. Yeah, so you do. You go through lands that are marked. You go through trails that are marked. Sometimes you're walking on the highway. Sometimes you're walking on a rocky trail. Sometimes you have to open up a gate and go through someone's property, and you're walking amongst their animals just to get from point A to point B. You really follow the trail, and some of the trail has been broken up by people buying property over the years, but they make it open to you. They really respect pilgrimages there. What Mm -hmm. was interesting to me was I had been on hikes before and I've gone to places where I'm like, I want to go there. I wanted to go to Jerusalem. I went there. You know, I, there's other States where I want to see that. So I would go. That never felt like a pilgrimage to me. It was seeing something cool, but the thing about pilgrimage is that as I'm exploring this idea, it's almost a rite of passage. Mm. And it's something where, yes, in a sense, it's a hike. But as I told a man I met from Canada named Devin, I said, this is like the Bermuda Triangle of hiking. Like there's something more <laughs> than just walking because because everyone on that pilgrimage, whether they were a Christian or not a Christian, they're seeking something. Mm. They came with baggage and they wanna let that baggage go. Mm. And in some cases that's literal, you have to keep your pack low so you can keep going. But in many cases that's figurative as well. Like there are things that we've been carrying for way too long and it's hurting us, it's wearing us down. And at some point, we have to leave that on the trail. And people have been doing this for centuries. So back to where, where you shared at the very beginning, um, you were talking about stories that were passed on or the mystical elements of what it is to be on this pilgrimage. Um, so I think that's significant. 
and that we can find that in other places, not only the Camino, but there are other ways that we can journey and um, in places in Ireland or um, following St. Francis of Assisi is someone that I've always enjoyed following in his footsteps. Um, so thinking about this mystical element, and then you bring in the component of leaving something there, of a prayer aspect, of reflection, of, of giving something up and being more open to God. What would you say, um, I know that you're, you're still processing some of that, but, but tell me about how the Camino is set up for people to do that kind of processing. When you get your, it slipped my mind what it's called, your credential, there we go. When you get your credential, this is something that you carry to every town you go to on the Camino and you get a stamp to prove that you were there mm. so that at the end of the Camino, you can get a Compostela. And this is a certificate written in Latin that says that you're part of something that's way bigger than you. Mm. And when you get the creden credential, you'll open it up and you'll see there's, you know, lots of kind of motivational things, but also just ideas to ponder. And one of them is there were people that went ahead of you throughout the centuries and there are people that will go after you so as you're entering into this sacred dance this sacred walk think of those who came before you and think of those who will come after mm. and i think what's interesting is throughout history you know beginning in the ninth century but really it peaked in the 11th century where people started doing the camino de frances where they would start in france and walk all the way to Santiago de Compostela, which is pretty close to the sea in Galicia, in that area of Spain. But it's, it's interesting because it's almost like the land knows that people... I, I know that sounds really like hippy-dippy, but <laughs> it's, it's almost like there's something special about it because so many people have been going there for mm -hmm. so long. Sacred ground. Yeah, it's almost like a liminal space. It's mm -hmm. a thin place. There's this, you're in this place where, I don't know, I've, I've heard so many people who've done the Camino de Santiago say things like, I've never felt more alive. I've never felt mm. more focused. I've never lived simply, more simply. I've never been challenged more. I've never had dreams like I had on that trip. Like there's wow. just things that don't happen when you're distracted in everyday life. Mm -hmm. And you would say it's unique to that place for what you experience versus like if you just went on a long hike in the Appalachian Mountains, right? It, it would be like you could push yourself to do something of spiritual nature if you were walking the Appalachian Mountains, but there's something that happened because of all the generations of people that have gone through this passage in northern Spain that it makes it unique in that way, sacred ground. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting just how much history is tied up in something like the Camino de Santiago. Like, we've all heard of the Knights Templar, we've seen movies about them, but when you realize that one of their primary roles was to care for pilgrimages, or mm. pilgrims mm. on pilgrimage, mm. like, that's, that's really big. And then you, on this pilgrimage, you'll walk by houses where pilgrims stayed and castles that the Templar built and mm. things like that. So you're really, you are walking through history. You're walking through medieval villages and you're seeing things that you would never see here. But I think one thing that makes it different from other hikes is 
there's this focus on being present with what you're doing, with yourself, with what you're processing, not being in a hurry, Mm -hmm. not trying to get to the destination, but to enjoy the journey, Mm -hmm. but also to experience the community of those around you. Say a little bit more, because I know, and just before being on our podcast today, you've shared some people and experiences of people that you encountered. And just like day, let's go day three into your hike. (laughs) And you might even remember who the people were, but like how many people that day would you have seen and how far did you go? So day three, day three was probably one of the tougher days in the first several days for me because, you know, I started, I started in the morning and it was just straight up Mm. and I'm from Florida. So at the end of the day, I don't like mountains. I I, (laughs) honestly, on day three, I was still saying, why did I do this? Why am I here? I'm never doing this again. I planned for this for months and here I am and I hate it. And so I'm walking and walking and walking and I get to a point where I'm just like, this is about all I got. And I'm just going to slow down and just tough it out. But I hate this. It's the worst. And then a young man came up behind me. And I sort of met him at a cafe the, the day prior. But his name was Kiko. And he was from Cardi, Spain. And he, he's now living in Bristol and the, in England. But he came up and we started walking together. And all of a sudden, my mind was kind of taken off the difficulty of the hike. And we just kept going and we slowed down. We found a little cafe along with every other pilgrim that day. And there might've been 30 people in there. Mm. There's one server, because that's how Northern Spain is. You know, there's like one person making drinks and they're very efficient. But there were 30 people and we're all just sitting there and we're resting. No one's trying to race. No one's trying to, you know, get to the next place super fast. But we have a conversation. We talk. And I didn't know that I would end up walking with him for the next eight days. Mm. But that day, it kind of came at that point where for me, it was starting to get to fever pitch where I was tired. I was exhausted. And the thing about the Camino, it doesn't just break you physically in some ways, but it also impacts you emotionally, psychologically. You have to break this glass ceiling. Mm. And so he and I walked until the town of Teneo, where you go, you descend very, very in, down a steep decline into a deep valley. And there's all these places to eat. It was great. We had great food. But then I left because he was staying there. And next thing I know, I'm walking up. So I had seen about 30 to 40 people on the trail and I was one of the few Americans. There were like three of us on this particular trail on Frances. There's a lot of Americans on mine. Yeah, there was like three of us, but I'm sitting there now. I leave Teneo and I just go straight up and it, and it was rough because that day I had to do, I believe 36 kilometers and I got, I went up a mountain and then down the mountain and I'm, at the bottom of the mountain, I'm staring at this cow through this barbed wire fence. And I'm like, hola, vaca. I, I don't know. We, we're both <laughs> looking at each other like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, he's not moving. I'm not moving. I can barely <laughs> move my walking sticks at this point because I'd hit that glass ceiling. Uh-huh. But what was interesting is at that point, I started to pray. I started to seek God. I started to really cry out. And 
and I'm singing and I'm by myself in the woods, right? There's no one around. And I walk the next seven miles, you know, five to seven miles. And then I get where I'm going by 6 p.m. And then when I get there, I hear my name being chanted by one of the guys I walked with on the first day, you know. And it was just, it was so interesting because for me, that was a ridiculously hard day. But people seem to come at the right time. Mm. And I've I've noticed that. Like It was a God thing. People would say... The Camino provides. That's mm-hmm. what they would say. They've, they've made it to where some people almost deify the Camino. Like mm-hmm. it's like this. Yeah, they're like, it'll provide. It'll give you everything you need. But I, th- I think, I don't know. I think God, I can't make sense of it, but I felt God's presence very clearly when I was doing it. Beautiful. Now, when you said that you had, because you did a journey for about eight days, and yet you parted ways even at the beginning of that that day. And it's because you had already pre-booked places you yeah. were staying. Yeah. Do a lot of pilgrims do that? Some do, but I think the the better way is to maybe book a day in advance. But here's the deal. When you do that, you may not get a place. And so you might have to walk farther. Mm-hmm. And so there are different kinds of pilgrims. There are the ones that want to stay in the big towns because there's a lot of options, but those fill up pretty fast. Then there are the other ones who just walk through that. They'll experience a big town for about five minutes, and they'll go to the next smaller town where very few people go, and there might only be like 10 people there. Mm. And so sometimes we did that, but at the end of the day, yeah, I had booked all my places in advance, so I didn't get to be as impulsive as a lot of folks. (laughs) Now, you have told me already that there were some... uh, people that wanted you to um, change your plans after you'd gotten started. Yeah, that was a really, that was, that was hard because here I am. I had just finished this really long day with Kiko and the people that were chanting my name. Well, they were like, Hey, we're going to go this route. You need to go. And one guy was even like, one guy was kind of, he was kind of mean. He was kind of a jerk. He was just like, you, he's like, you're going to miss out. This is the best route on the whole trail, when people ask you about this trail and they say, what did you do? And you say that you didn't take this route. Basically, you won't be enough. You, like it was intense. And I was like, huh. And, but it was funny. It was a full court press. Everyone that I'd walked with the first three days was at this place. All wow. the people I connected with. And they're all telling me, you need to go. You need to go. You need to go. And one guy's like, well, don't be afraid. And I'm like, well, I'm not afraid. I'm like, if I was afraid... That ended today when I broke through that glass ceiling. Now Mm -hmm. I'm going to accept whatever happens. Mm -hmm. And I think in that way, the Camino is much like life. Like if you're able to welcome the good and the bad, you're able to keep going. But if you fear the bad, if you fear something not going your way, oftentimes you can isolate, you can run away, you, you can stop walking. And something you'll see really on graffiti on stop signs on the Camino, it'll say things like there'll be a stop sign and it'll just say, never stop walking or don't stop walking. Wow. And there's this idea of you just, you have to stay on the way and keep going. Even if you have a bad day, even if your muscles just crap out on you and stop working and, or your back starts hurting or you just, for me, I started having foot issues Everyone starts having different pain, but you keep going. And if you've got to take a day of rest, you do. But 
ibuprofen, the Holy Spirit, you keep going, and mm-hmm. both of them really help. And so, yeah, all of the people, my community of the first three days in this strange and interesting environment of Camino, they're all telling me to change my plans. And for me, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know, I, I don't know if I want to do that. And, and ironically, part of the reason that I didn't book that way when I went was I'm like, well, it just seems farther out of the way. And then I'd read something about the downhill area being steep. So when these guys are doing this full core press on me, I'm like, well, I want to go because I don't want to not do something I was afraid to do mm. eight months ago. Sure. And so, but at the end of the day, I would have had to change all my plans. So I didn't do it. I actually went the harder way. Um, you know, it's, it's much tougher, like much steeper at points. But then ironically, I went down the same way as that route. So I got to do it and, and it was, it was fun. It was sporty. But I think for me, I had to really wrestle through, am I going to do this for their acceptance or am I going to do something for me? And so the next morning I run into a gentleman named Luis who has done several of these Caminos. Some of them he couldn't complete because Camino Preventivo is known as one of the hardest um, Caminos. And so he looks at me and he goes, so Raleigh, are you going? And I'm like, no, I'm not going at all. And he goes, good. I'm like, it's like 7 a.m. He's like, good. I'm like, good. And he goes, you have to choose your own Camino. And it was so cool because I, yeah, I stuck to my guns and I did my Camino. And I met amazing people as a result of it. Mm-hmm. People that went the way I went. And that was actually the way that Kiko would go. So we would reconnect. I was curious about how that happened since you had parted ways and he wasn't at the same place that night, but you, over the course of the next day, reconnected with him. Yeah. Was yeah. it somewhere at like the lunch stop or it was nighttime? It was that when everyone else went the other leg, I walked kind of, they went one way that was only going to be one day. I went away that basically was longer and it was two days. And... I'm walking and I'm one of the only people on the trail. And then I meet up with a young woman named Vanessa from Columbia. And, you know, there was a little bit of a language barrier. She was asking me what I did. And I said, you know, I run a nonprofit called Let My People Go that focuses on helping churches fight human trafficking. And she thought I was saying I was a trafficker. So it made things very Very awkward. awkward. Yeah. Yeah. It made things very awkward. I'm like, no, 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 good guy. Good guy. (laughs) But like (laughs) we're sitting there and we're walking and she and I are just, we're hanging out. We're getting food. We're, you know, we just, you meet people and if you connect with them, you're like, let's walk together. And so we walk and we go to this place called Pola de Yande. And it's this beautiful mountain village. A river runs through it. There's, just really old buildings and hotels and it's amazing and I had lunch with her she went her way and then I'm walking through and I go by the laundromat and there's Kiko (laughs) and we were hoping to connect but I see him again and so at that point we decided we're just gonna stick together for a few days all right but yeah it's for me There can be peer pressure, but I think if you really look at this, like you look at life and you say, you know, a lot of us can play the victim card in a sense. And I mean that very generally. We can play the card of, well, this happened to me, or I didn't choose this, or my parents chose this, or, but at the end of the day, 
there is some choice that we get to make. May not be the whole thing. Maybe we're responding to things that are way out of our control. But what I found was even in the moments of the Camino where I'm completely out of control, there were some things I could do. I could focus on being present. Mm -hmm. I could focus on engaging with people. There were certain things I could control. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, I really felt more alive than I probably have ever felt because I was completely present. And that's one thing that the first three days I wasn't. I mean, I'm texting people back home and I'm doing this and that. And I wasn't really focused on what was in front of me. Mm. And when the only thing you have to do every day is repack your bag, throw your bag on, fill your water bag, and just walk. I don't know. It, life, life's kind of beautiful in mm-hmm. its simplicity. And I love, so a while ago you said, keep walking, that the signs would you know say that, right? Um, so a beautiful thing to take forward. I know that you've been um, off the, the Camino walk there for a little while now, and you're, you're back in Lakeland, and, and you do travel a little bit for your work. What are some of those ways that you are continuing to walk as you've been encouraged? Well, it's interesting. When you look at the original Caminos, and I would say up until the 15th century, because with the Protestant Reformation, um, Martin Luther wasn't exactly a fan. <laughs> Um, he said, and I quote, all pilgrimages should be stopped. There is no good in them. Mm. No commandment enjoins them. No obedience attaches to them. Mm. Um, rather, do these pilgrimages give countless occasions to commit sin and despise God's commandments? Mm-hmm. He now, was not a fan. <laughs> right. Now put that into context, though. Like, why would the Catholic Church encourage people to do the pilgrimage? So with that, there was the spiritual aspect. Also, there was a tourist kind of situation going on. And this was also during the time of indulgences. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the cathedrals you walk by are ornate and they're beautiful. I started in Oviedo with the Cathedral San Salvador, which like the existing cathedral now was built in the 1400s. Then you get to Santiago de Compostela and it's been there in some form since the 1200s. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, there was definitely a, I would say maybe a baby with a bathwater kind of scenario. And I think now there is a more of a return to pilgrimages. People are returning to this more contemplative Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of found this as I've kind of engaged contemplative Christianity. But what I've noticed was the early pilgrims, when they would go, this wasn't like, a two-week jaunt. They would leave their homes and start walking. When St. Francis of Assisi did it, I think it took him 14 months to do it. Wow. And like, there were people, they'd take seven months there. And once you're there, you take seven months back. So Santiago de Compostela was never the destination, but it was the turnaround place. And that terminology is from Alexander John Shia in his book, Returning from Camino. And he basically says that what we miss now is we just see things as I'm going from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. Like, here's my starting point, here's my destination. But he said, as pilgrimages go, you're not done. That's just the middle. I remember there was a Sunday, and I'm feeling this deep heaviness. 
I had finished, I'm using air quotes, I had finished my Camino. And I go to an Episcopalian service on this mountain overlooking Santiago de Compostela, and it's beautiful. And it's just in uh, this old chapel, and it's just gorgeous, really glorious. And the missioner looks at me, and she says, she's like, well, hey, have fun going home. And I'm like, I just looked at her, I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. Mm. And she says, that makes sense. She's like, you're not done with your Camino. You're just in the middle. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you've walked it to this point, but you have to continue walking your Camino and your journey home. And, and that could be six months. That could be nine months. People have different scales for that. But, you know, what's interesting is you return home and it's chaotic in some ways because you have changed. Mm-hmm. There's something about that intense focus, that intense prayer it's like when Jesus would go out into the wilderness or the desert monks or all these people who would kind of go out to experience God in a fresh way. When you do that, you do, and it changes you. But then when you go back to the normal things, whether it's normal people in your lives or just your normal way of life, what's happened in you can't really coexist with that. Right. And so then you're kind of thrown in this thing. And this, this book, Returning from Camino, is helpful because he's like, you might doubt that nothing happened. That's not true. He's like, there are moments where you might have to look through your friends and say, what's good for me and what's not? He's like, you're going to have to purge some things. There are things in your life that aren't serving you anymore. Mm. You're going to have to let some of those things go. So it could be relationships. It could be habits. It could be, you know, and it's, and I think that's the hard part because it's in that chaos that you're just trying to tap back into what you did before and you can't really go back because mm-hmm. in a sense, you're still on the Camino. You're still going forward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you for um, bringing that to light right now because I there are times in my daily rhythms or weekly rhythms that every now and then, like I know that I have a day off, um, but it's almost like you want to get off the ride for a little minute. And then I tell myself, but that's not how this works. <laughs> like you're always going forward. God always has something for you. Like you don't just get off. And so you are on that journey very purposefully through the pilgrimage. And then you're trying to figure that out as you yeah. kind of kind come of back. Unwrap it. Yes. Yeah. Um, but but I find that in little ways every now and then. It, it's not frequent that that comes, but every now and then I just think, ah, oh, couldn't this? Couldn't we just pause for a little minute? And you don't get to. <laughs> So you just keep going forward. What does God have around the bend? And I love just the experience that you had and what you've shared that you were vulnerable to like be willing to see what would be around the bend because that's all you had. Well, and one thing that has really stuck with me, it was a conversation as we were eating octopus, which is very big in the Galician region. And I was joined by this older couple, Holger and Beata, and they sat with me. And as we're, as we're talking, I'm asking them about their journeys. You know, they're in their 60s. They've done a lot of these Caminos. And they always have a reason to go. You always have to answer your why when you go on a Camino. Like, why are you doing it? Is it something you want to let go of? Is it something you want to pick up? Is it something you want to just spend time thinking about? Is it getting close to God? Is it being present with yourself? You got to figure out why you're doing it. And you don't even have to have a full answer, but just have an idea. Well, as they're talking to me, they say, one of the things that's really interesting about the Camino is that the Camino 
is a little life. They're like, just like life, you never know what's around the corner, but you have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. You can't run from it. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you're not guaranteed anything on the Camino, just like you're not guaranteed anything in life. My first day, my foot, which is broken multiple times, swelled up to where it was ginormous. I mean, I could barely put my shoe on. And every step I took, I would hurt. And I was like, before I went, I was like, yeah, if my foot breaks, I'll be fine. I was thinking, yeah, like maybe three quarters of the way through, I'll wrap it and keep walking. This was the first day. Wow. And it scared me because I'm like, no, I have to complete this. I can't quit. And you are tested, but it's, it's so much like life. Like there are moments where we don't want to keep going forward. There are moments where we're completely lost in the fog, which happens quite literally on the Camino, especially in the early mornings. But you keep going. Mm -hmm. You look for the signs that you can find and you try your best to stay to the trail and also remember who you're walking with. Mm -hmm. Amen. Do you um, find that you had any significant prayer words or like, that there was something that's very present to you that God gave you for prayer language? You know, it was interesting. There were a couple of themes. Um, I've always liked the verse. Um, Jeremiah six sixteen. I believe it's six sixteen. I sometimes get it confused with sixteen six, which is very different. Um, six sixteen is thus says the Lord, stand. Um, you know, what? I, I'm trying to remember it. Um, thus says the Lord. Just bear with me. I'm gonna look this up. Sure. Um, this is one of those that I have completely memorized. <laughs> but but in for the moment, right now, it yes. is not coming to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is. Let's see. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And for me, one of the things that they say on the Camino is buen Camino, which means a good way. And I was really like wrestling with this passage the entire first half of the Camino. This idea of, okay, I'm standing by the roads, I'm, I'm looking, I'm asking for the ancient paths. And in so many ways, I am walking an ancient path on this Camino. And I'm saying, God, well, what is the good way for me? And I, I, I want to find rest because I think at the end of the day, I was looking for God to provide rest in different ways in my life. And yeah, it was just, it was interesting because, you know, at the end, I'm sitting there and I'm really just wrestling through this heaviness that I felt when I was done. I'm wrestling through this passage. And I, I come to I come to this idea and start thinking about how it's fulfilled in scripture, how it's fulfilled in Jesus's words. You know where he says, "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I will give you rest for your souls. There's this 
it's almost like he fulfills that passage. And so as I was talking to the missioner on the mountain that day, she said, your Camino is not done till you find Jesus at the end of it. Mm. And so it was interesting, like these passages kept coming up. It was Jeremiah 6, 16, which 16, 6 says both high and low will die in the land. No one will shave their heads for them. No one will mourn them. So much different sentiment, but like, you know, we, what we see fulfilled in math, Matthew is that Jesus is ultimately the object of our rest. Amen. And so, but it was interesting, just passages, I, I was going through Lectio 365, it's an app for, to do the Lectio Divina every day, mm. and I would listen to it, and just everything was kind of on point, everything was on schedule, mm. you know, it's like, I don't know, everything kind of applied to whatever I was dealing with that day, mm. and so, but yeah, those two passages were the ones that really stuck out to me. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Raleigh. Thank you for sharing just a portion. I know you have a lot that you are thinking about and praying through and considering that of how God has been speaking to you through this experience. So thank you for giving us a taste of that. Oh, thank you. <laughs>